and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, good morning, Bent Tree. I got my water. I'm ready to go. Um, and so I opened to Genesis chapter 1. Here we go. So I could do it. I'm just saying. Um, well, if I don't know you, my name is Paul Trimble. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to add my voice just to remind the members, make sure that you come to Vision Night, November 5th. Uh, it's an important night for just a couple of really big reasons. Uh, one is that we're going to be praying together as a church over the vision uh, of what God's calling us to do. We're going to go over that vision, share that with you, uh, but then also kind of pray through that vision uh, and get your input for it. Uh, we're looking at this vision that our leadership has put together. The shepherding elders are going to go over it this week as we pray and get ready for it and present that to you. Uh, but we want your input. We want to pray with you, the church body. So, uh, and, and for you non-members uh, and and you're just friends of Bent Tree, we're so glad you're here. There's still time to finish up your membership process so that you can be a part of this coming night. If you've gone to uh, that starting point and basic training I know is coming up, get your paperwork in so we can get that. And for those of you who have gone through that, you kind of get this idea of what Bent Tree is all about. Vision night, you really do. Uh, you guys that think, hey, why, why is membership at Bent Tree so important? Attend the next starting point and, and you'll find out the reason for those questions. We hold membership at a high level. And to really understand who we are as a church family, to understand our mission, our values, um, and really to try to carry out the Great Commission. Why do we do that? Well, let's go ahead and go to our text for today, and we're going to be in John chapter 8. If you'll look at that, here's a quick recap. The conversation that we'll hear today takes place in Jerusalem, just six months until Jesus will face suffering at the hands of the Romans, and then death on the cross. Then be raised to life on the third day. Amen? And that's just six months until that all goes down. And then there's a lot that has to get done before that to fulfill all of the prophecy in the Old Testament scriptures. There's still a ton for Jesus to, to still teach and reveal to his disciples. Jesus has been teaching on the Temple Mount during the Feast of Booths, the largest feast of the year. There's thousands listening to him preach. It was the last day of the feast, and in no uncertain terms, he has claimed divinity to be the Son of God, or you could say God the Son. Now, Jesus had even used that name of God referring to himself as I am. He literally says, I am, in reference to him being Yahweh, the light of the world, not a light in the world, but a light of the world. He is the light, and, and that I am is the claim to be God. He uses that covenant name for God. He says, that's me. So among this crowd, though, were the religious leaders 
who for some time had been seeking a way to stop him. Really, they just wanted to, to kill him. But even though they had tried to arrest him over and over, uh, they were never able to. They had even tried to stir the kind of crowd up to get them to either uh, take him down and, and stone him or just a mob killing. But the crowd loved Jesus. And what we've seen in chapter 7 and then chapter 8 that Jesus is teaching has now become a debate as the religious leaders keep interrupting Jesus' teaching, trying to discredit him what he's saying. But, but it's not going very well. Jesus simply wins every argument, right? But that shouldn't surprise us. I mean, he's God, right? Jesus uses this conversation, though, or where we would say the argument or even the debate to prove himself to be God and to reveal some of the deepest things about who he is as God the Son. That's why we're studying this so carefully in John chapter 8. Now, this section we're about to go into gets really heated, at least on the religious leader's side, not so much on Jesus' side. Jesus does get heated later on, but this is he's... He's cool, calm, collected. The religious leaders, on the other hand, they're seething. They want to kill him. So these guys are upset. The Pharisees are upset. And Jesus is even going to use then their anger to reveal something about himself. Isn't that interesting? But here's what I want us to watch for today in this passage. Here it is. Jesus is going to talk about himself, who he is, who God the Father is, and uh, how someone is saved, how someone goes to heaven and is with the Father. And I have to warn you, Jesus says some pretty offensive things here if you don't agree with him. This may make you upset. If you're not a Christ follower, but hear me out, hear Jesus out, we'll talk through this. Jesus says some, some offensive things. So the tension is very high when we pick up the conversation. So you, you see where we're at? And Jesus begins to address not just the large crowd of Jewish folk, but he specifically addresses the religious leaders now. So we read in verse 21, look up here or in your Bible. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Boy, that's, that's offensive. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now he said something like this in John 7 verse 34. That's why the verse starts out. So he said to them again, back in 734, he says, you will seek me and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. And here again, he's telling them the same message. I'm going to a place that you cannot come to. And this time he adds the reason why they can't come. See, if you can identify it in this verse. There's a ton here. Let's unpack what Jesus is meaning in these verses. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, you may not come. He says, you what? Cannot come Uh, but you will be looking for me. Now, remember the difference. We've talked about this before between may and can. Your third grade teacher probably taught you this. That's where it happened for me, Mrs. Craighead. uh, the, The word may means permission. If your teacher says you may come to the pencil sharpener at the front of the room and run your pencil sharpener. That was like back in the day before we had electricity. And so... 
you, you ran that up. She, she was giving you permission to stand up and come to the front of the class. On the other hand, the word can means ability. So did you ever ask your teacher, teacher, can I come to the front of the class and sharpen my pencil? And how did your teacher respond? She'd say, well, can you? And you would look blankly at her because you had no idea what she's talking about. But she was talking about ability. Now, Jesus is saying to these religious leaders trying to stop him, he says, the reason that you can't come to him is their inability to get to God. Now, what's the reason for their inability? Read it again on, on your own. Underline it in your own Bible. Jesus says, I'm going away and you will seek me and, we, and you will die in your what? Sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, why can they not follow Jesus to heaven? Here it is. Write this down. Our sin is the cause of our inability to go to heaven. Make that direct comparison right there, or connection rather. Our sin is the cause of our inability to go to heaven. Now, we could say a ton more here about the result of our sin, but it is our fallen state that we are spiritually dead because of our sin, it prevents us from going to heaven, right? We all agree on that. We are unable, we have an inability to get to heaven. That is until we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit at the direction of, look, God the Father made possible by the death of Jesus. Now, these guys probably realize that Jesus is talking about his own death. We'll see that more in just a moment. The religious leaders, it's really between them, the crowd's listening in, but these religious leaders, they realize that Jesus is talking about himself dying and going to heaven. God the Father and Jesus is is saying, you can't get to God the Father, you can't come with me. That means Jesus is saying, look, you guys, you're all headed to hell. You're all headed to separation from God. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're going to die in your sin and where I am going, you cannot come because of that. Now, remember, tensions are already super high between Jewish leaders and Jesus here. They want to stop him at all costs, but they haven't been able to because quite frankly, Jesus hasn't allowed them to. Or you could say what Jesus said, uh, or remember what Jesus said. He says, my hour has not yet come. So Jesus says this, watch how these guys will respond to Jesus' statement about what he just said. They go on the personal attack. Now this is common when someone can't respond to an argument. Many times what they'll do is they'll start making it personal. They'll go on an insult uh, kind of tirade, attack the person's character at that point because they've lost the argument, right? That's what happens next. These guys begin to insult Jesus, to impugn his good name, his character. Now, we saw this before back in John chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, and now we see it here in 8. They're doing the same thing. The religious leaders insult Jesus in front of the crowd to try and discredit him in front of this crowd. So look what it says in verse 22. So the Jews said... Will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? Now, they're saying this out loud. 
to the crowd. Now, the reason this is a personal attack is that making that statement, not only response to Jesus, but really to this crowd, is that they're saying Jesus has just said he's going to kill himself. Now, that's not what Jesus had said, is it? Well, that's how evil works, isn't it? You need to know why this is such an insult. It's because Jewish belief was those that killed themselves were automatically sentenced to the lowest part of Hades. The religious leaders were understanding that Jesus was talking about his death and going to heaven. They get that. So they try to flip the whole thing on its head, meaning they wanted the crowd to think, well, obviously, they would be going to heaven because they kept the law so perfectly. They were the ones closest to God. So if they can't go where Jesus is going, we can't follow him because he's going to Hades, hell. Let's just take a moment to step back then to look at this wider picture now of what is going on and then the deeper meaning of what Jesus is communicating. We got the surface area. Jesus is talking to this, these Jewish religious leaders of the nation. Now, these guys that should be watching for the Messiah, but really they're just watching out for their own power and money. In a way, they are looking for the Messiah, just not a suffering type like Jesus. They had decided what the Messiah would look like, how he would act when he came, and yet he is standing right in front of them, literally God in the flesh, God the Son in the flesh, and they don't recognize him. Now, here's the wider picture of what when Jesus says to them in verse 21, look at this, I'm going away and you will seek me. And when you, and you will die in your sin, where I'm going, you cannot come. These guys are the leaders of the nation of Israel at that time. So Jesus is addressing now the entire nation. Like they're the, they're the representatives, right? We don't mean that every single Jewish person was going to hell. That's not what we mean. No, in fact, many, many will be saved on Pentecost. But we need to see the wider sense of what Jesus is saying. Do you remember back when we studied John 1, the very first chapter, when the apostle John said in verse 11 through 13, the apostle John says, he, referring to, to Jesus, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You remember that? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, watch this, not of blood. It's not a relation, I mean like you're born of a certain thing. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Apostle John is clearly referring to the Jewish nation and these leaders in this verse. He might even be referring to the particular conversation that we're looking at in chapter 8 here between Jesus and these Jewish leaders. Now, back in John 1, 11 through 13, write D-O-G, write a big dog right next to that verse if you don't have that already. Uh, that clearly is the doctrines of grace right there. Well, that we are born spiritually, what does it say? Not of the will of man, but of the will of God. 
Now back to what Jesus says to these guys in verse 21, chapter 8. Jesus says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. He's not just talking to these leaders, but the people of Israel that will reject him. Not all will reject him, but the nation of Israel will reject him and die in their sin. Now, to die in your sin, to miss the opportunity to believe and follow him in this life means that there is no opportunity after death to follow Jesus. You need to understand that uh, and, and believe on him in faith now because you can't do it after death. Not all the people of Israel will reject Jesus, certainly. Many, many will be saved, but the large part of the nation will reject him and crucify him in just six months from this conversation. So get this, when Jesus says, you will seek me and you will die in your sin, where I'm going, you cannot come. He is addressing the nation. He's telling them of a future prophecy about the nation of Israel. It was a solemn, solemn warning that just in a few short years, A.D. 70, so it's A.D., about A.D. 35 here, Israel would suffer in A.D. 70 a horrible affliction and suffering heavier than any other persecution on a single day. We've seen that before recently, haven't we? But in these days and weeks, hundreds of thousands would be put to death by Rome. Rome itself would destroy Jerusalem, would destroy the temple, They would destroy the temple in such a way that the sacrificial system and the Jews would be cast out of the land. They fled. They came back in 1948. That's how long they were away. In AD 70, the Jewish leaders and the people had refused the light of Jesus and watched in vain, waiting for the Messiah to come to save them. But they had missed him. I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. How terrible to seek a Savior, but only to realize it's too late. He had been standing in front of them offering life, but they had rejected Jesus. Now, as a pastor, I just can't let this point go by. Because in in my years of ministry, I've Notice something. I've seen people that appear to be super religious who sometimes even claim to be true Christ followers. People that say through tear-stained eyes and cheeks uh, that they believe and trust Jesus and yet months or years later it turns out that they didn't really have a saving relationship with Jesus. I've seen that over and over. They just kind of quit believing. And get this, they never believed with saving faith in the first place. Because you see, when hard times come and sickness comes and job loss and financial hardship, maybe it's the death of a family member, maybe it's the death of a child or fearing death itself, all those kinds of things can cause a person to start to pray, right? Maybe they even read the Bible or start coming to church during a difficult time and they profess to seek Christ during those hard times. Sometimes they will even show themselves to grow a little bit in their spiritual growth. It's like their life has been reformed, kind of. You tracking with me? 
I've seen it over and over again. I'm sure you have too if you've walked with Christ very long. Once the pressure of the hard times end though, let their health kind of improve. Let the circumstance get better. And that guy or girl begins to let their zeal for Jesus slide. Please understand that just trying real hard to be a good person and doing right things in your life and reforming your own life does not work to save you. Here's how I put it. Write this down. Trying really hard to be a better person and doing the right things by reforming your life will not save you from the wrath of God. Trying really hard to be a better person and doing the right thing by reforming your life will not save you from the wrath of God. Stopping getting drunk, getting high. Stop having sex with someone who's not your spouse. Stopping lying, stopping stealing, stopping cussing. Trying not to sin will not save you. Even if you try really, really hard, right? Reforming your life will not save you. You can act like you think you're a Christian should act on the outside, but simple life reform doesn't save you. It just doesn't work. We must be transformed. So what do we mean when we say we must be transformed? Here it is. We are transformed by being brought to life spiritually at the direction of God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, our salvation is a trinity deal at work. One God, three persons, but all three persons at work. We are transformed by being brought to life spiritually at the direction of God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We are transformed by being brought to life spiritually according to the will of God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit by trusting in that perfect sacrifice of Jesus as the only acceptable atonement for our sin. Not, Not just change, but we must become a new person. Transformation. Do you see the difference? That doesn't come from just trying to be a better person. Transformation can only happen by the power of God. You and I, we just can't do it. That's Jesus' message here. The Apostle Paul points it out this way. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind. We need a new mind. We need a new heart. We need a new way to feel. We need a new way to think. You'll remember back in John 3 when Jesus answers Nicodemus' question about how do uh, I get to heaven? And Jesus says, you must be what? Born again. Born from heaven. Here's why I'm digging down here. This might get a little uncomfortable, but hear me out. When Jesus says back in verse 21 of John 8, he says, I'm going away and you will You will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He's not just preaching to the religious leaders. And he's not just preaching to that crowd. He's giving a solemn warning to us as well. 
And, and you and I need to hear this. Because there are some that call themselves Christians and I truly worry about their salvation. You see, there's this particular American brand of Christianity that I call easy believism. It comes from a superficial kind of temporary influence that we've seen in some church services. I've even participated. It looks something like this. A preacher like me will make an impassioned plea for people to come to Christ to be saved. Maybe the band plays a song and the plea is made over and over. A person walks to the front of the church or raises their hand to indicate that that they want to be saved. They want to go to heaven. (laughs) And it can be very emotional in the response. And, And sometimes the preacher really milks it. You know what I mean? He really milks it. Like one more verse, one more verse. You go, we've already sang just as I am 25 times. And it can be very emotional, right? And and the the people that raise their hand in a service or walk the aisle of a church, I have no doubt that they made, at least for a moment, that decision in earnest to become a Christian. But rather, after the service or a few days later or weeks later, they go back to their old life. Now, please hear me, hear me from my heart. I'm not saying if you were saved this way, that your conversion was not authentic. No, no, no. Praise God if you were saved like that. But what I'm saying is that people can make a decision based on an emotional uh, feel pressured by family, friends. I I remember a a guy gets saved. He goes, yeah, I I just felt really pressured by my girlfriend. I wanted to stay with her. So yeah, I became a Christian. Like in the moment they, they felt something, but it didn't last. And, and they think we'll try to make a good show of it and at least present kind of a, a Christian front for a while. But then it becomes a thing that starts to falter a few months later, sometimes just a few weeks later. I've seen two reasons for people falling away from Christ when they seem to be a real Christian. Write this down. Number one, some are not fully committed to believing and following Christ as Savior and Lord. Some are not fully committed to believing in and following Christ as Savior and Lord. Like the idea of missing hell, that's a pretty easy sell, right? I think I said this in Bentry's very first uh, service. So if you were there, you'll probably remember 13 years ago. If we had two tables outside and says, hey, one sign up to go to heaven, one sign up to go to hell. There's not a lot of people at the hell table. You know, there's a line at the other table The idea of missing hell, everybody wants to miss hell. Getting to go to heaven, they like that. But the whole Jesus being Savior and Lord and ruler and king of my life, they just kind of view that as maybe a hoop that you got to jump through to get to go to heaven. In other words, they don't want Jesus. They want heaven. They don't want Jesus. They want what Jesus can do for them. And if they have to do a little bit of kind of show to 
to get there. Well, okay, some guys think I, I can clean up my act if that's what it takes to get me into heaven. I don't, I don't have to drink as much. I can quit cussing. And, and maybe, maybe I can improve some other areas of my life. And Like they, they view Christianity more like doing more good than bad, maybe that way. If I can do that, well, then I'll get there. God tells his people through the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Check this out. Jeremiah 29 verse 13. This is God. See if this sounds familiar. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now that's not talking about the beating muscle inside your chest. It's talking about a core of who you are. It has to be a heart thing without reservation. The second thing I think People fall away after making a quick decision. I think this is a far greater number than number one. It's this. Some will search in the wrong places, missing where God can truly be found. Some search in wrong places, missing where God can truly be found. The wrong places. Some search in the wrong places, missing where God can truly be found. They are looking for Christ, Jesus, in everything and everywhere except the place he can be found. They want meaning. They want purpose. They know they're missing something. Church says they got it. So maybe I'll go there. Sometimes it's not church. Sometimes it's the mountains. Sometimes it's something else, another religion. They look in the wrong place. It reminds me of the old country song. You remember, looking for love in all the wrong places. Some of you thought that was a hymn, didn't you? (laughs) It reminds me of that that hymn, that song, because we know where the right place is, don't we? The Word of God, the Bible, right here. I mean, it's why we study this. And many have tried to find salvation in experience or in emotion and feelings. Man, I've been there. For instance, I've heard preachers say things like, oh, if you'll just come to the altar and pray until you feel saved. I don't know why I slipped in my southern accent there. People think that having some deep emotional experience will save them. Or being in the mountains or being in a beautiful place, they will feel close to God. I'll I'll finally feel saved. But listen, none of that will save us. Where do you find Jesus? Right here. Where do you find Jesus? In his word, the Bible. Now I know that sounds like something a preacher says, but hear me. Where do you find Jesus? In his word, the Bible. John 1 says he is the word of God. He's right here. This is life. Jesus says, search the scriptures because they tell of me. By the way, he's not referring to the New Testament at that point. Why? Because it has not been written. He's talking about the Old Testament. Remember, he's talking to a Jewish crowd. It's why the Apostle John refers to Jesus in John 1 as that word of God. Jesus is found 
in the scriptures, not in an emotional experience, not in temporarily trying to be a better place, uh, be a better person or in a better place. Now hear me, I'm not saying that if you were emotional when you turned to Jesus in faith, that you're not really safe. No, 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 no. In fact, emotion many times runs so deep when you hear the message of Jesus. You, you realize that it's that third rail I talk about. You realize the depth of your sin and how far you are from God. And you go, that he would love me? Man, tears quickly fall. That thing's now fake. I'm trying not to do that. The realization that Jesus loved me and gave himself in my stead. But what we're saying is when you just rely on the emotion to save you, the tears themselves won't. Only the blood will. Jesus will, if you put your faith and trust in him as Lord. Emotions change, Jesus doesn't. Because it's in the Bible, the written word of God, that the incarnate God, the word is found. And how do we know that we have salvation. How do we know that? Here's how. We'll unpack it more as we go through the rest of the, the chapter. But here's how we know right here. That through all life's uh, ups and downs. And through hard times and good times. And through all of our emotions of being happy and sad and depressed and full of anxiety. We keep following Jesus. Obeying his word, certainly carrying out his commands, loving, serving his church, our other brothers and sisters sitting next to you, sharing the gospel with the world where we live. I mean, that's how we know we'll keep going. We keep on going. But maybe you're thinking, hey, is that me? Am I a real follower of Christ Jesus or not? Well, do you follow him? Two verses I want us to look at regarding this question. Let's look in 1 John, not John, the gospel, but 1 John near the end. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Chapter 2, verse 19. This is the apostle. He says, he's talking about people that have left the church. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been born of us, I'm sorry, been of us, they would have continued with us. Now, do you notice that? If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all, that they all are not of us. Okay, you following? What is John saying here? That there are those in the church that will seem to be Christ followers for a while. They'll come every week. They'll serve. But you will know they are not true believers when they quit following. They will fall away at some point and stop coming. Now that's not to say, you know, a a guy that leaves here to, to go to another church that's a believing church. You know, that's not talking about that. They just... They leave the church. And the reverse is also true. Those that are truly saved will follow Jesus until he returns or takes them home in death. They'll they'll stay to the end. It's a both and kind of thing. 
Now, my point is not that we will be perfect or never hit rough patches in our walk with Christ. We will. Suffering will come. I look out at faces. I know many of you have gone through things in the past. You're going through things right now. But we will return to Christ, Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We will repent if we were truly saved. And for true believers in Christ Jesus, the thing we know from Scripture is that the Holy Spirit will keep us saved until we are home safe in heaven. You go, Paul, that you just said two different things. No, those things go together. We know that the Holy Spirit will keep us and we will be in the Spirit if we stay to the end. Those things go together. Not that we are to be irresponsible in how we live our lives as the Holy Spirit just keeps us saved. Like, I can just do anything. Paul said, well, then you know you're not saved. The opposite is true. For the redeemed, we will serve Jesus with our whole heart. Imperfectly, for sure. Messed up, all of us. But we will grow in our faith if we are truly saved. Speaking about this doctrine that we call the doctrine of The preservation of the saints. You've heard me preach on it before. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He's talking to believers in Philippi. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's another doctrines of grace, right? Dog by that verse. It's how we're saved. Doctrines of grace. It's God that holds us Onto us once we are born again. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say all of you who began a good work in yourself. No. It says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Who began the work? You or God? God did. God begins that good work in us and will bring it to completion. Praise God for that. Because if it was up to me, I'd lose it. I'd let go. Because here's what I know. I can't do it on my own. How about you? Let's go back to Jesus' words. Back to verse 21. Again. Here he goes. Jesus says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. So they're going to seek him and die in their sin. He says, where I am going, you cannot come. These words have another very important meaning in our lives as we sit here today. That there will be a day when it's too too late to turn to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Do you see that there? I do. There is a day when the gates of heaven will slam shut. Boom. And in a very real sense, Jesus saying, saying to these guys and to those that don't believe, he's saying, you are going to wait too long and the door will be shut. And when that happens, you're going to call on a Savior that day and you will not be able to find me because it is too late. I mean, that's a harsh truth. But don't miss that it is indeed truth. It's offensive. And it's true. By the way, this isn't something new that Jesus just kind of came up with. Like, all right, here's a new doctrine for you. We know that because we read this in the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs chapter 1 says this about those that reject Jesus. Proverbs 1 verse 28. 
Then they will call upon me, God says, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Oh, the door had been shut. This is talking about the same thing that Jesus says in John 8, 21. The people can wait too long to believe and miss the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we can come up with an argument that says, but hey, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad a guy. But notice when we talked earlier about can versus may. When Jesus says, you cannot come to where I'm going, he clearly says it's because of sin. Because the holiness of God makes it impossible for us to be with God. Let's just say it as plain as we can. Our sin is so vile, so corrupt, we cannot be in the presence of a perfect God in heaven. Remember when we talked so much about Jesus telling us that he is the light of the world a few weeks ago. In heaven, darkness and light cannot co-mingle together. Because the righteousness of God makes it impossible for us to be with him. We, if we are still in sin. By the way, that makes Jesus coming to earth so incredible. Such an act of love. Some of you go, oh yeah, that sounds good. Let me see if I can give you a little illustration. This is going to turn your stomach. You ready? Think of those pit latrines in the National Park. You know the ones I'm talking about. You look down into them with their smell and you're just reviled, aren't you? And do you know what I'm talking about, anybody? Everybody's like, I've never used one of those. (laughs) Those public toilets are just holes in the ground, outhouse style. It's just a big pit of poo gas and duty water. (laughs) No one likes that because they are revolting. It gets that, you know, that, that thing. So let me just ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Ask honestly or answer honestly. Let's say you dropped your brand new iPhone 15 Pro in one of those babies. And and like you hear the splat and you look down and you see the screen slowly sinking into a brown mess. You see it glowing underneath the surface of the water. The question is, would you get down into that? Like you, you get down in and it's, it's, you can't find your footing. You know, it's like you, you get, would you get down in there and get your phone? No way. You'd say, baby, it's gone. She gone. Because you're not getting down there in that mess to pick it back up, are you? Listen to me. Getting down into that mess is nothing compared to what Jesus did. Coming down to a sin-filled cesspool. Stepping down into the mess of our broken lives and sin. And living in the middle of it for 33 years. Buying our freedom. Holding us up out of that mess. Redeeming those that would believe in him as Savior and Lord. He stepped into the latrine of sin. And we all, we call home right into our mess. And what do we mean here? Well, we know we have sinned. All of us. And although there are different kinds of sin. 
with different impacts on our lives and the lives of those around us. In the end, all sin, all sin, how much sin? All sin is against God himself since he made us. All sin, every sin throughout time, all sin must be punished under the wrath of God because he is just. The penalty of the broken law must be, will be enforced. That's justice. God will carry out perfect justice. And remember from our last time together, the attributes of God are pure and complete and total. So perfect God demands what? Perfect justice. God promises justice to be carried out. In the end, every sin will be paid for in justice. For those that reject Jesus, there is no other way to pay for the penalty of sin. So the sinner must pay for that sin with eternal separation from God in hell for all eternity. I know I'm like vastly out of step to what seems like tons of other pastors even in our city. But I love you too much to not tell you the truth. I've often been asked by well-meaning Christians, it's not a bad question, why for all eternity, Paul, since my sin was not eternal? It was just a one-time limited act. And the answer is that since sin is against God himself, and since God is holy and perfect and eternal, the penalty of sin can never be eliminated by us in hell. Do you see that? Understand that sins that we commit are an affront against the perfect, eternal, holy God, which is what sin is and demands then eternal punishment. You, you with me? Think of it like this. Let's say you're at a new job and you make $15 an hour. Let's, let's bump it. I, I heard like uh, uh, that new burger place in and out paying like $25. Let's give you $25 an hour. Sound good? But let's say you owe a debt to Visa for $15 billion. You got the numbers in your head? Let's say you were able to work 168 hours a a week. You never slept. You only worked flipping those burgers right there. Go, next. We, We couldn't even keep up with the interest alone. Get this. We couldn't even keep up with the interest alone for one day. My point is that the debt that we would be so high, we couldn't pay it off even if we worked for eternity. It would just get, be getting more and more. That is the picture of why hell is for eternity. Do you see it? But this is what makes Jesus stepping into our mess of a world so incredible that for believers in him, he takes our place. He takes our debt over. He takes the punishment of our sin on his back. He takes it to the cross, dies in our place. And why is he able to do that? Because he lived the perfect sinless life that we could not. He pays our debt to God. That's why the cross, on the cross as he died, he yelled out, it is finished. You know the other way to translate that? Paid in full. 15 billion dollars wiped off the books. For me, I look at the world, I see a constant flow of people dying. 
It's like a conveyor belt going towards a meat grinder. Certainly, you may live to an old age, but the truth is we all die. I see young people in the news die all the time, don't you? Death is the certain thing in life. How do people act like that doesn't bother them? They, it's like play well. It's happened to everyone before me, but for some reason, it won't happen to me. Especially when you hear Jesus preach this. Now, please don't think I'm just trying to scare you into heaven. For one, that's not possible. Being scared doesn't save you. A relationship with Jesus and faith does. And although Jesus sounds really harsh here, and I get it. It is harsh. We see the urgency of what he's saying. Jesus doesn't leave it there though. Look in verse 23. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, if this is true, I want us to think about this. There is a God who has come down into our cesspool to rescue us. He clearly tells us our future. He says, this is what's going to happen. That because of your sin, you are headed to hell because of your debt to God. Jesus says, I guarantee it. But there's this little word in that sentence you should underline. Circle. Do you see it? Unless. Because Jesus says that your fate is hell. Unless. Unless. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Is that not what Jesus is saying? I mean, I don't know how he could be clearer. Now, not trying to reform, not trying to be good enough, but to simply believe and then turn your life over to him. Repent of your sins. Follow his commands. Follow his teachings and share this message of Jesus with the rest of the world. I so want to keep going. We're just, we're just kind of getting to the meat here. I mean, these next verses, it's just going to blow your mind, does me. But I don't want to shortchange any of what Jesus teaches here. So let's just end it there and let's pray. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we think of that cesspool analogy, that pit latrine and to say that's nothing compared to what you sent your son into to save us. That Jesus, you have come down. If you're a Christian, would you just pray for me and pray for the, the people that are not saved? And if you're not a Christian, would you just listen to me? I mean, you can look up here at me too. I used to be in sales before I was a a preacher. I sold stocks and bonds. I was a I was a stockbroker. I was pretty good at what I did. Listen to me. I can't sell Jesus to you. If you're getting what I'm saying, that's not me. 
That is the Holy Spirit of God. So how how do you follow him? How do you leave Satan's team and join Jesus' team? It's this way. Simply say, I believe. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And if that is true, then repent. You'll repent of what? Well, first thing, of not believing him before. Repent of your unbelief. Repent of all your sin. Now look at me. Jesus has just paid for your sin. Past, present, even your future sin. I'll explain that another time. But get this. Your slate has been washed clean. But you don't know Jack. I mean, you don't know anything about the Bible. So how do you start to follow him? Well, these brothers and sisters sitting around here, this is what we do. We call it D3. It's a fancy way of saying discipleship. Each of us walking by each other, looking at the words of Jesus and saying, how do we follow him? Every day you'll have to repent. You're forgiven of your sin, but you've still got bad habits. Me too. And look, I've I've been following Jesus this year for 50 years. And I still wrestle with sin. And you know what? I'm still saved. Because I keep following and he keeps me saved. So what's your next step? Well, pray. Pray this. God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that his death on the cross has paid for my sin. Jesus, will you take over control of my life? Will you be my Savior and my Lord? I repent of my sin. You have the keys, God, to my life. And then the next step is be baptized. The baptism doesn't save you. It is a picture of what has just happened. It's the old you, the dead you. We're going to bury that old zombie you. And then we're going to raise up the new life that is in you. That's the picture of baptism. Well, end your prayer like this. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I don't know why you chose me, but I'm so thankful you did. I'll follow you all my days. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.